It's the end of the year, and I don't know if you've seen them yet, but everybody comes out with their lists. Um, McLean's, I guess it was this week, said uh, the, the power issue. Sounds pretty uh, cool. The 50 most important people in Canada. I was thinking this morning, it would just be so frustrating to be number 51. I just missed the grade. Ah, disappointing. And I think it was the Metro this week had Ace Burpee made a list of the 100 most fascinating people in Manitoba, or maybe it was in Winnipeg. And I thought, oh, I didn't make that list either, you know? Uh, now, the bright side of that is that I didn't have to send 50 copies of McLean's to my mother to show how important her son is. But we like to keep score, don't we? We like to, we like to, uh, there's something about that making lists and remembering things, looking back on the year and the signature events, what was the most important thing? I was wondering if anybody could tell me, now we've had a crop of babies here at Elam and it's just delightful. I'm so glad they're here. And by the way, if those kids are hungry, just feed them, okay? Just Let's just relax and let this be a baby welcoming place, okay? It's biblical, it's it's in the Christmas story, you know, like I don't think they took Jesus off to the side when he had to eat. He just ate, bless his little heart. That was a free rant about breastfeeding from the pastor. What was I talking about? Um, and if it offends you, just don't watch. Okay. Um, what, was I, what was I talking about? Oh, sorry. Lists, famous lists, making these really, you know, important lists. Well, what if your name didn't get on a list? I mean, we've had every baby here is valuable to us and to the family they were born into. I'm wondering if anybody could tell me who is the most famous baby worldwide born in 2013? Yeah, what's his name? George. Okay, next slide, please. Yeah, like this was a big deal, right? This was a huge deal. And I don't know if you remember, I think it was back in July. It went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, there was a lot of money, I don't know how much money, wagered on speculating on how, what's this kid going to be called, what, what gender, and what's the name. And it was interesting, as I was looking at images on the, on the internet, there was this person with a billboard who worked for one of the uh, British bookies with all the girls' names potential girls' names and all the odds of, you know, what the, what the baby's name would be. Now, unfortunately, that would have been a bad investment because George is not a girl. But uh, it's interesting how people spent so much time speculating over the birth of this child. Next one, Sean. And if you remember, for days, even weeks, people were camped outside. Photographers were camped outside. Uh, see those doors there over to the side? That's where the baby was supposed to emerge and I was reading this week that there was a chance that if uh, George had been born closer to his mom, where his mom grew up, out in the country, he might have been born there instead of, oh no, and all these people who had camped out for a long time would have been so disappointed. But finally, of course, the great, the great day came and he emerged. Hoorah. Lots of money spent in memorabilia, and like I said, the bookies probably made a killing speculating on what the gender and name of the baby would be. There's something about this spectacle that attracts all of us, that gets our attention, saying, whoa, wow, isn't this awesome? We're a part of history. Well, it was a big deal. 
the royal birth was a big deal. Compare that to the birth of Jesus. Now, we said, the choir sang, did a great version of that song, Once in Royal David City. Uh, to be more accurate, um, I would retitle that song, Once in Royal David's uh, Small Collection of Scraggly Huts. Bethlehem was more of a village than a city. Uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, um, they did a census recorded uh, um, twice of all the lists of cities in Judea, and Bethlehem didn't make either of those lists. Um, some commentators think it was probably about uh, just a little hamlet, maybe 150 people. It wasn't anything impressive. Oh yeah, I have one more slide to show you about the royal birth. The next one. This is how I feel about the royal birth. All this hoopla. And, okay, I'm not against the royal family. I just wanted to throw it in here because it, this whole, we hype things up so much. It's kind of silly. Okay, on to the next slide. We'll get serious now. This is a prophecy that the book of Micah contains, and it's fascinating. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she, who is in labor, bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely... For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Think about this. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, his birthplace is predicted. Could someone have pulled that off with your birth? I don't know where you were born. I was born in Stratford, Ontario. And uh, 700 years before that, I don't think there was anybody living in that locale. Maybe a few itinerant aboriginal folks kind of roaming around the area uh, I think the Hurons lived in that area at the time but there wasn't anybody in that area at all it's fascinating that 700 years before Jesus birth they were predicting oh the Messiah is going to come from this little hamlet from David's home city as I was saying though the town of Bethlehem or the village of Bethlehem was not much to look at at all. And it really tells us that God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes. God is so well pleased to use the, the small things of this world to confound the wise and powerful things. That's one of the things I love about the Christmas story. Next one, please, Sean. God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes. It doesn't matter how great or how small you are in the eyes of society, and you, even, in your, even in your family's eyes, it, that doesn't matter. God can use anyone from anywhere. And the prophecies that Micah made weren't fulfilled in what we would call a geopolitical context. Okay, Now, McLean's says the 50 most important people in Canada, they're mostly um, what we would call celebrities, 
politicians, all those power brokers, a lot of them based in Ottawa, a lot of them based in other parts of Canada, but not from little, scruffy little places like Bethlehem. So what do we make of this? What do we make of this? When all the news magazines come out at the end of the year and saying, these are the most important people in the world, wouldn't you like to be on this list? Ooh, look and envy. Well, not really. Because that really doesn't count, does it? The Bible says, and God says, I can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish my purposes. And that means the, new, the good news about Christmas, the gospel, is for anybody. You don't have to be on that top 50 list, or even Ace Burpee's list of the 100 most fascinating people in Winnipeg. Wow. Again, wouldn't it be disappointing to be 101? Well, just try harder next year. Or take Ace Burpee out for lunch or something. I don't know. You know what? God can use anyone from anywhere. That's the marvelous thing about the gospel. There was another famous shepherd who was born in Bethlehem. His name was David, born hundreds of years before Jesus. And it was interesting when we think about him, we know him as the man who wrote most of the Psalms. He was a marvelous poet and warrior and leader. But he started off as a nobody. He started off as the youngest member of his family. When Samuel said, you know, God told Samuel, okay, well, you're going to find a king in Bethlehem. Go there. Go to find a guy named Jesse. He's got a lot of sons, and one of his sons is going to be king. So Jesse lines up all of his boys for Samuel, except one. And Samuel, and, and the first one is just a stud, the biggest, oldest one in the family, and thinks, oh, man, this is, this is definitely it. And God says, no, not that one. Oh, okay. So Samuel goes down the line, one son by one son, and he's coming up, he's just drawing a blank. God says, no, not any of these. And he says to Jesse, now look, are these all the boys you have? Really? Are these all the boys? And Jesse says, well, you know, there's, there's the runt. There's little Davy. He's out watching the sheep. You know, I didn't call him in because I didn't think he'd be so important. Well, go get him. So, little Davy comes in from watching the sheep, and God says to Samuel, Here's the one. And Samuel says, all right, this is the one. This is the king. This little nobody, this young buck right here. And I'm sure all the older brothers, I don't know where you are in your birth order in your family, if you're an older brother or a younger brother, if you're, you know, where you are in the pecking order. You know, families always have their, it's kind of like the totem pole, you know, who's on the top and who's on the bottom and who's in between and it doesn't matter how old we get. We tend to retain that order when we get together. You'll be experiencing it maybe in a few weeks if you gather with your family over Christmas. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You tend to revert to that. But I, I was wonder, what did David's older brothers think of this little punk kid who was so insignificant that he was out watching the sheep when the guy came to anoint one of them as king? That They dragged him in and, and, and they thought, him, that little squirt? Well, Samuel's actions were proved right a little later on when the uh, 
army of Israel was lined up against their enemy, the Philistines, and Goliath was parading up and down the battle line saying, all right, give me somebody. Come on, bring your best guy. Let's do it. You know, let, let, let's get it on. We're, we're going we're gonna to decide who's best here. And everyone, the Israel side, is shaking in their boots. Even King Saul, who was a head taller than everybody else in the country, he wasn't going out to fight this giant. Little David comes along. Again, he's been looking after the sheep. And, and he comes and says, Who is that noisy, blowhard guy over there? He's, he's, he's dissing Israel. He's, he's putting down Yahweh. He's, who is this guy? What, what gives him the right to insult the Lord High God? And I'm sure all David's brothers are saying, shut up, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Just, just get back to the sheep. Finally, David says, well, I can take this guy. God will help me. He helped me kill a lion and a bear. And pff, this guy's nothing. He's, I can take him. God will help me. And he goes and tries on the king's armor. And the king's armor, you know the story, the king's armor is too heavy. And this poor young guy says, I can't move in this. And Saul says, oh, man. You're gonna, they're going to make mincemeat out of you. But um, good luck. You know, way you go. David takes him on, and this giant is huge. And you know what David's thinking as he's thinks, swinging his sling around? He's saying, man, this guy is too big to miss. He's such a huge target. He's toast. God's going to give him into my hand. And so that's what happens, right? So David was a shepherd he cared for people. He cared for Israel's people. And isn't it interesting that hundreds of years later, another seemingly insignificant boy comes from this insignificant place and God uses him as a shepherd, not just for one select nation, not just for one select cultural group, but someone who's going to go after the lost sheep in all of the world every ethnic group, every language group, every social group, every, everyone on the socioeconomic ladder has the potential to be rescued by Jesus, the Good Shepherd. To me, the story of Bethlehem, the story about Bethlehem says that God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish His purposes. I don't know if you've gone one, through one of those small prairie towns that are around here, it, one of those kind of blink-and-miss-it towns. You, you're driving through somewhere, and often on a secondary highway, not even the, the number one, on a secondary highway. And there's a road sign and a couple of buildings and maybe a store or something or a gas station. And all of a sudden, zoom, you're through. Usually... As you enter the town, there's this dusty, kind of bedraggled-looking sign. as such and such a place. Home of some hockey player that you've never heard of, you know, 50 years ago. And uh, that's kind of what Bethlehem was like. A scraggly little collection of huts. Not much to look at, not much to, look, to write home about. And they would have had a dusty old road sign saying, Bethlehem, birthplace of King David. Now, the sign would have been 700 years old, so I don't know what, what shape it would have been in, but uh, that's how it was remembered. But it just didn't look like much. It was not impressive by our standards. 
and certainly it wouldn't have made the front cover of McLean's magazine. But that was Bethlehem. It was very appropriate, as I was saying, that another young man like David had come from that place. Next slide, please, Sean. God has a way of using unlikely people in unlikely places to accomplish his purposes. Listen closely. This, flu- this foolish plan of God, this is Paul, St. Paul is talking about the gospel here in 1 Corinthians. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Take that, McLean's. God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Now, don't take this personally because you're all on your Sunday best and you look, you're obviously above average because you're here on a cold Sunday morning and you look great. But when we take a look around the sanctuary this morning, we could probably agree with these words that not many of us are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy and not many of us are probably going to make the top 50 list or the top 100 list. That's all right. Next slide. Instead, this is the good part, instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, the things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You get what Paul is saying? God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes. And why does he do that? Why does he consistently use the underdog in life? Because he's trying to demonstrate. We can't boast at getting into God's family. We, can't, we could never boast in saying, Hey, God, let me into heaven based on my accomplishments, my amazing spiritual resume. I've been a part of this committee and that committee and done this and that and the other thing and I've kept all these commandments and look at me. And God says, what? Never knew you. I'm not impressed. Not impressed by the externals. It's not us earning our way into God's kingdom, right? God is so pleased to use people from unlikely places. Unlikely people from unlikely places. That's, I think, what he specializes in. Because it just gives us an opportunity for us to showcase his power. We are all what I call trophies of grace. That means when God starts to transform somebody from the inside out, when he really starts to change them and work in their lives, and people that you live with and people that you work with and go to school with are thinking, what the dickens got into that person? Why are they changing? Why aren't they gossiping anymore? They're not any fun. <laughs> why, aren't they, why aren't they going out on benders with us on the weekend? What, what's gone on? Why aren't they... They didn't laugh at that dirty joke. It was hilarious. And they didn't laugh. They're not gossiping. They're not... They're just... They're kind. What's with that? 
What's with the, the not taking revenge? What's with the carping about the boss? They just don't seem to participate in that anymore. Like, what's gotten into them? Why, why are they changing? Like, okay, what are they smoking? They're not sharing. What are they smoking? Like, what has changed them? And it's the power of God, right? That's what makes us trophies of grace. I think God has this little showcase. Not that we're perfect. We're, we're being transformed. We're being changed continually by the power of Jesus to change us from the inside out, right? That's the gospel. It's not us laying our resumes in front of God and saying, okay, did I make the grade? I'm in. I'm better than that guy. And you might be better than that guy, but you still don't make the grade because no one's perfect. So it's not about our efforts to get to God. It's about God changing us from the inside. And that's why God can choose anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes, to demonstrate his glory, because no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You can try it, but I like to be standing at least 100 feet away from you when you do it, okay? Because I don't want to get my clothes singed. I don't like the smell of smoke. So I'm not going to, don't try it when you're around me, okay? Next slide, please, Sean. Jesus came to be the good shepherd. That's, what, that's how he spoke about himself. To care for lost sheep, to protect sheep, guide us, and show us the way to the Father. And how appropriate that he described himself when you look at the heritage of where he came from, that rinky-dink little place that wasn't very important. It wasn't important in David's time. And it certainly wasn't important in Jesus' time. But God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purpose. Okay, next. God uses the weak things of this world to humble the strong. I'm so pleased to proclaim that as the truth of the gospel. God uses the weak things of this world to humble the strong. We like to brag about our accomplishments. We like to brag about what we've done. and We like to project a certain image. It's so important for us to put on a certain persona and you know, be perceived by our little group as, wow, you really got it all together. God delights in using the weak things of this world to humble the strong. I get so excited about that. Because, to be honest, most of the time I can relate to the little kid in this photograph thinking, I'm just overwhelmed with everything in life and I'm barely making it. But God uses the weak things of this world to humble the strong. Next, Sean. God uses the simple things of this world to confound the wise. The gospel, in its beauty, is so absolutely simple that the kids who are out with Justina this morning are getting it, okay? They can get it. But we like to complicate things. We like to look at the gospel and say, okay, what's the catch? I really need to be good enough. or, or, or It really depends on my self-effort to be made right with God. There's got to be a catch somewhere. This grace thing just, just can't be totally free. There's got to be a catch. Where's the fine print? And if you have a lawyer in your family or an adolescent, they, they turn into lawyers somewhere between the age of 13 and 18. They turn into expert lawyers and they argue about everything. They, you know, they want to say, okay, what's the catch? 
What's the deal here? There's something, there's something I've got to work for. There's something I've got to prove. No. God uses the simple things of this world to confound the wise. And it's absolutely, it's almost insulting to some people. Do you know who get most insulted about the gospel? Religious people. It's offensive to them. Look at who gave Jesus all the trouble in the gospels. Where did he have most of his conflict? With the religious people. The people who spent their lives keeping rules and making sure that other people kept the rules. And if other people didn't measure up, they criticized them and harped at them and said, oh, you bad people. Remember that story? Uh, I think I told it recently of the Pharisee going into the temple to pray and he looks at this miserable wretch over in the corner saying, Lord, thank you that you didn't make me like him. And the guy over in the corner is saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm a mess up. I'm a screw up. Please have mercy on me. And who do you think got his prayer answered that day, right? God uses the simple things of this world to confound the wise. I'm not sure how this would play across the street. I hope it would play well. I don't know. In the CBC studio or over at U of Winnipeg, I don't know. It would be interesting to have people interact with this message this morning. When I was in my freshman year of uh, learning, studying chemistry at McMaster, I once talked on this at a chapel at university with fear and trembling because there are all these professors who are much smarter than me. But I thought, you know what? God uses the simple things of the, wa- the world, the simple things of this world to confound the wise. So I was just reading out of the Bible. So how much trouble can you get into for that? Apparently a fair bit. But that's another story. But God delights to use the simple things of this world to confound the wise. One more, Sean. If Bethlehem can be used from God, by God, I would submit to you this morning, there is now no place that is God-forsaken. No place that you can call God-forsaken. I used to live in a place, and I have my doubts about it, and I would... (laughs) Carolyn Ahrens has this song. um, I wish I could remember it. But anyway, there's... one of the lines in it, in the songs, there's no such thing as a God-forsaken place. I used to sing that as I drove around the streets of this place where I live, thinking, remind myself, okay, God, there's no such thing as a God-forsaken place on earth, even if I feel this way in particular days. There's no place that is now God-forsaken because God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish His purposes. That's one of the beautiful things about the Christmas story. It's fantastic. Because God's grace reaches people wherever they are, whoever they are. Isn't that awesome? Maybe I'm the only one getting a little excited here. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to... It's okay to have emotions, okay? Isn't that awesome? Okay, four or five people agree with me, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. It's awesome. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, now, shh. Didn't mean to break the peace. Man, I was just getting comfortable and hoping that he would be ending soon, and now he's yelling at me. But it's awesome. Okay, next, please. On the final slide. 
Friends, I submit to you that God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes. And that is brilliant news for us. Anyone from anywhere. Now, it's all well and good for us to talk about this Sunday morning when we're relatively warm and relatively comfortable inside a heated building, okay? I want you to think about this tomorrow. As you're getting into your daily routine for tomorrow, I want you to think about this, that God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes. God can use... I'll, I'll try it again. That, that wasn't fair. Sneaking up on you. God can use... Anyone. From... Anywhere. To accomplish his purposes. Who? Anyone. Where? Anywhere. Okay, to accomplish his purposes. Brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. The song we're going to close with this morning is called Show Your Power. And the reason I chose it, it's not a typical Christmassy type song. And that's, that's all right. We've, we've been doing a lot of good Christmas stuff so far. But the reason I chose it, it's, it's basically, it's a, it's a plea for God to show his power, to show up and reveal himself. People had been praying that for hundreds of years before that first Christmas happened, right? And all of a sudden, God shows up. And interestingly enough, he shows up in a scruffy little place like Bethlehem, in an, using an unlikely parents to raise the Son of God. He delights in that. God can use anyone from anywhere to accomplish his purposes because he is so powerful. I would invite you to make this somewhat rowdy song a prayer. Lord, show your power. Show your power in me. Show your power in us.